Welcome to the root of all success with the real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs unlocked success and how their stories can help you do the same. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason has built multi-million dollar businesses that have been featured in Inc. Magazine and Entrepreneur Magazine. His life's mission now is helping entrepreneurs live what he calls hashtag the exit lifestyle. Introducing TEDx speaker, mastermind leader, author, entrepreneur, cigar aficionado, motorcycle enthusiast, and host of the root of all success, the real Jason Duncan. The real Jason Duncan. Well, welcome back to another show. It is The Real Jason Duncan. I hope that you had a Merry Christmas. This show is supposed to release just a couple of days after Christmas. Um, But I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad you tuned in for this. And if you're listening sometime uh, after that fact, nevertheless, we're really, really, I'm really glad you're here. I'm going to be talking with Mark Willis, Certified Financial Planner today. He is the founder and owner of Lake Growth Financial Services, a financial firm in Chicago, Illinois. He's a three-time number one best-selling author, and he's also the co-host of a podcast called the Not Your Financial, Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Not Your Average Financial Podcast, which I will be an upcoming guest on. And uh, in that show, he celebrates and shares some strategies on real estate investing, uh, paying for college without going broke, and creating an income in retirement that you won't outlive. Um, his 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 mission, Mark Willis's mission, is to help you think differently about your money, your economy, and your future. And, you know, we're going to talk, we're going to get pretty real on today's show. We're going to be talking about our opinions on bankers uh, that he affectionately refers to as banksters. We're going to talk about the uh, tax code and how the tax code is designed to, uh, unfortunately, is designed to work against W-2 employees and uh, supports fully entrepreneurs. And uh, we also talk about how our school systems are rigged to just create good employees and not entrepreneurs, which is why I love doing the show because I want to encourage entrepreneurship. And I think he says it in the show and I believe it's that entrepreneurs are set uh, better than anybody else to make the biggest impact in the world and to, to get us out of recessions and to, to get us back to where we, where we need to be. So Mark works with people who want to grow their wealth in ways that are safe, predictable, and to become their own source of financing. And he, uh, he does, uh, part of his financial firm does whole life insurance. They design the policies correctly. And uh, you're going to really, really enjoy the discussion with Mark today. So let me, let's uh, together welcome Mark Willis to the show. Man, thanks so much for having me on your show. Well, I, uh, I'm i glad to know you. I, I know we got, I can't actually remember how we got introduced, but it was, I think somebody else who was on my show in the past introduced me to you and we had a phone call and then uh, one thing led to another, and now you are my certified financial planner that I use to talk about money from time when I need to talk about money. So it's an honor to have you on the show. I'm glad that you're here, man. How's How are things in Thank Chicago? You. Thanks. And I, I think we just learned that we're both native Tennesseans from birth, I guess, anyway. So um, I, uh, I, I love being up in Chicago, but uh, save some room down in Tennessee for me, man, because it's a beautiful part of God's country. Uh, yeah, so far, so far it's been good, uh, and I've been really honored and privileged to get to work with you and your family and uh, several of the folks that you've sent our way too. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. So let's go back into the beginning. So when Mark Willis was growing up, what did he want to be? 
Well, as early the first, I mean, besides maybe like cowboy and astronaut and that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, I think the first thing that I remember doing uh, is little businesses here and there. Besides the lemonade stand, I um, made cartoons and mazes and sold them to my friends and buddies and they all loved them. I don't know why. Maybe I uh, just found a, a little um, little side of the universe that needed filling. But uh, it's those little entrepreneurial moments that really get me th a thrill. Even watching now my little girl, she's about six, and seeing her do little businesses here and there, it's been a real delight to see the entrepreneurial spirit in every little kid, almost every so kid were, I meet. <laughs> so you were making puzzles and mazes? Yeah, and yeah cartoon caricatures, you know, like you'd see at the uh, at the fair or whatever of of my friends and loved the little mazes. You know, you you can get pretty creative with those things. And I don't know. What about you? Were you a, were you a entrepreneur as a little kiddo? No, not not at all. I, I, I didn't I didn't really have that spirit until I, I was an adult. So I'm all, that's why I asked that question, because I'm always wonder I always wonder for my guests, when did the entrepreneurial spirit start I, the last guest i had on the show she she only became an entrepreneur over the last year or so and uh mm -hmm. so it's, it's just it's interesting so so you wanted to be an astronaut and a cowboy but you had a little bit of the entrepreneurial spirit in you did you did you go straight into financial services right out of high school and college or did you have a another journey that took you there no i um i went through i think in many ways this is just a theory but i think children by nature have a, at least an imagination spirit, if not a creative business and, you know, entrepreneurialize it. I mean, I see lemonade stands all over this neighborhood I, I drive through and I just, I, I must stop at every single one of them, no matter how busy I am and support those little kiddos. Because uh, I just truly believe that the entrepreneur in many ways will save this economy um, from all of its ailments. So yeah, I think the, the biggest, um, turning point was when I really got pushed through the school system and then went through college, got my two degrees, my master's degree and, and my undergrad and, and left college with uh, just a, a, an albatross around my neck called student loan debt. Uh, in fact, my, my wife and I jokingly say that I married two women in college, Jason. I married my beautiful bride and I married Sally Mae. And Sally did not want to leave the relationship. <laughs> so we had to pay her off to get out of the thing. Uh, and that's partly what pushed me into the W-2s and the traditional kind of path of, of um, being an employee. And it wasn't until my wife kind of helped me break free from that, kind of break me out of that mindset that brought me back to entrepreneurship. So do you, do you what are your opinions? I mean, we could kind of take a little rabbit trail here for just a second on this college thing. I, I know a lot of people that would say school is designed to create employees and the debt system built around college just reinforces that because you, you can't get out of college with a hundred thousand dollars in debt and, and decide to take the risk of starting your own business with no income. So it's better to take that job that the man offers you. Do you have an opinion about that? And if so, what, what is it? Well, I think uh, you've you've said it very well. There's this very unique space in your adult life when you are just out of college and you don't have a bunch of kids to feed. And those couple of years there for most Americans is the time. It's usually that time is the time to strike out because you can live on beans and rice or peanut butter and jelly 
you don't have a bunch of commitments or a bunch of uh, kids college expenses to, to and if you're if you're rattled with your own student loan debt at that moment yeah you're you're going to choose you're going to be forced to choose a more stable income to service the beast this is where i think banks have really got their fingers around our neck as entrepreneurs and it's no doubt kept us from more successful businesses just think if Steve Jobs had so much student loan debt that he never felt comfortable striking out and starting Apple. Where might we be today as a country if he had just kind of punched his card um, being an employee somewhere? So no, I do think that the the student loan industry, I think the school industry, the raising of prices since the, the late 60s, early 70s has really wrung out, W-R-U-N-G, wrung out a lot of the entrepreneurs out of our system, which is a shame. You know, what's interesting to me is that it seems like, and I know your, your podcast is, is not your average financial podcast. So, I mean, you, you talk about not the average financial ideas all the time, but it seems to me like our system in this country, really Western society, but specific, specifically our country, United States, is that the system is geared towards, as we just discussed, uh, creating good employees, good workers. You know, that's what school that I was, a, you know, I'm a former school teacher. You know, and it's just get the right answer on the test. Don't work with other people. You have to do it on your own. It, you know, that's that's what employees do. But what's funny or ironic is that the tax code is written directly the opposite. Although that might not be ironic, it might be by the plan, is they want to tax those employees as high as possible. The tax code is written to help people like you and me, entrepreneurs, where, where we can pay almost nothing in tax. And Trump's famous statement, you know, I didn't pay tax because I'm smarter than you. Well, right. he was just using the tax code to his advantage. So mm -hmm. what what are your, what's your opinion about how the system, that dichotomy between let's create employees, but let's write a tax code that rewards entrepreneurship. I, I see the tax code like a, um, a booklet on dancing with your uncle, uh, which sounds creepy, but <laughs> I, I, I think you'll understand what I'm saying. So Dance with your uncles is uh, what I think of when I see the IRS tax code. It's only 2,000 pages long. Now, <laughs> the first 10 pages are defining income. The rest are basically exceptions to the rule. And if you can find those exceptions and then play along with the partner, your dance partner, the IRS, um, you can win the game. As uh, Trump said and many others have said, it, it's totally legal. It's encouraged why does the government encourage us real estate investing or encourage us to start a business? It's because they don't want to be in that business directly. They've chosen, we've chosen as a society, not to have government-sponsored housing across this country. We've chosen to have a quote-unquote free market, you know, whatever that means. So the government will encourage, incentivize people to do things that it doesn't want to do itself. And that's what the tax code is. It's just encouraging incentive uh, and and it's also discouraging things that it wants you to stop doing. You know, that's why there's sin taxes, for example. Uh, so, you know, when, when I see the tax code and I see all of these wonderful exemptions, deductions and credits, I, I think, wow, this is sort of like a, a pathway, a dance pathway, that if we can not step on our uncle's toes, we can really do what we want and fulfill what they're looking for and make a ton of money in the process. So when you, when you came out of college, married to two women, and which I think is funny, but, 
but uh, maybe, when you came, I'm I'm, uh, I'm reticent to say it that way, but yes, I I, I know I said it, so I'll stand by <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's if if you're just tuning in on the show, uh, you probably need to go back a little bit to find out what we're talking about. But uh, when you came out of college and then realized that okay, I've got to get a job, job. I got to get a job to pay these bills, these Sally May bills from the from the student loan debt. There had to still, though, at some point be this spark of imagination or desire or, or inspiration for you to say, I want to go do my own thing. I want to take advantage of those 1,990 pages of tax code that help me not pay taxes. When did that inspiration, that moment happen for you? You know, the tax piece was an aha moment later on as I was digging into my certified financial planner designation. What really was the spark for me was the my was finding my deep desire and not uh, and wanting it to reach the world's deep need so i believe that's where the spark of a good entrepreneur begins it's not how am i going to squeeze some more taxes out of this or tax breaks out of my out of my life it's more how do i get my deep desire to meet the world's deep need and i think that's really where the start of any good entrepreneurial mission begins so for me I remember walking down Michigan Avenue, which is a famous shopping district here in, in Chicago, uh, and I was looking for work. We lived downtown at the time. I already had two jobs, and I was looking for a third job because that's how crazy I was at the time to get out of, from underneath the thumb of the banks, the, the, the banksters, as I call them. They were like a mob, you know, wringing my neck every month, and I wanted out from underneath their, their oppression. So... I was getting as many jobs as I could. I was working property management. I was getting down in the muck, sucking, you know, you know, just unmentionable things out from under elevators and cleaning out old nasty apartments and just doing whatever I could to get these things, get these student loans paid off. And I remember walking down the streets uh, of Michigan Avenue and I was doing an interview for a bank. Uh, and it was at one of those ma major mega corporate banks and I didn't get the job. And I remember just feeling deflated. Like I want to help people with their finances and I can't even get a bank teller job. What's wrong with me? And it was my wife. Like I said, my wife helped me realize that I can't meet the world's deep need at that bank or any other business. Uh, so it's that moment that I'm sure many people who are entrepreneurs might, you know, um, agree with that you realized, and I realized that I was totally unemployable even for a simple bank teller job with a master's degree. And I couldn't get a bank teller job. So I said to myself, this has to stop. I'm going to start my own business. Uh, in fact, to prove them wrong, but more importantly, uh, to meet the world's deep need with my great desire to help people find financial freedom in their life. So your interesting perspective on banks. So you call them banksters, bankers, there's banksters, um, a name that I've frequently used in the past as well. What, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about the system being rigged against against us to make us just employees, but then the tax code to, to reward entrepreneurship. Where do, where do banks fall into that? Because I, I think you and I probably have the same opinion about banks. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when I never have to work with another banker ever again. Uh, my one friend who's a good banker, notwithstanding, <laughs> but I'm uh, <laughs> like, I, I don't what just. Carte Blanche, what's your, what's your opinion of banks? Tell, tell us about that. Banks are inevitable in most people's lives. 
mostly on the debt side, but also you got to use a checking account most of the time to make it through your life in this world today, uh, up until recently. Uh, banks are a modern phenomenon as we know them today. They haven't always existed, but banking, the verb, uh, is actually very old. There's a incredible you know, history book on debt. It's called Debt, The First 5,000 Years by David Graeber. And I'm telling you, Jason, that that title itself gives is the stuff of nightmares. Debt, the first 5,000 years. Every word is like bone chilling. Think about how incredibly powerful that word, that four-letter word is, D-E-B-T, debt. How many lives have been ruined? How many marriages have ended? How many relationships broken? How many fortunes destroyed because of that four-letter word? And debt is as old an institution as marriage, if not older. It's as old as cave paintings. It's as old as friendship. As far as we can tell, it goes back as far as humanity, uh, civilization at least. And so this thing called banking is going to be with us. If you believe in the Lindy effect, it's going to be with us for thousands years more. What is the Lindy effect? The Lindy effect is the longer something has existed, the more likely it is to continue to exist. So this is the opposite of the human experience. You know, the longer I'm alive, the more likely I am to croak. But the Lindy effect says, if it's been around a while, like a week or two, it's probably going to be gone. This is why I think the Bible will outlast this week's New York Times bestselling book. This is why I think the chair will outlast the iPhone. And this is why I think debt and banking will outlast the current incarnation of banks. So, you know, I, you asked a kind of a broad question. I gave you kind of a broad answer. We can go deeper or get more specific there if you want to. But yeah, I'd, I'd rather like take hold of that banking function even and, and maybe even fire our banks. 100%. Yes. I, and I think, you know, normally I don't get as, as tactical on the podcast as I do maybe in my uh, my live webinar series. I do twice a month called EMS or Entrepreneur Master Series. You can look that up at therealjasonduncan.com slash EMS. But, but I do, I think I'm interested because interested in getting a little more tactical on this show than normal because of your area of expertise, Mark. And, and you and I have the same, similar opinions about banking, although you're, you're involved in solving that problem. I'm just involved in complaining about the problem, <laughs> but I, but I, uh, I wonder why, you know, again, it's, 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 I'm just having these re realizations as we're having this conversation, but school systems are built to create employees. And then the tax code on the other side is, does not reward that banks are not helpful. And yet they are, severely um, controlled by the federal government to, to where they can and can't do some things. It's just a weird thing. So you think the banking as we know it today will eventually cease. So what replaces it? How do we go from having to have a checking account at first, you know, first bank of the, of the South or whatever, you know, I'm trying not to name a real bank, but how do we go from not having a bank there, uh, account there to exchanging money in different ways? Money is uh, half of every transaction on earth. And so money uh, is a very deep question, very deep topic. Uh, and what happens once the modern incarnation of banks are gone? I don't know if I have a firm answer. No one has the future crystal ball. Uh, I will say that I think that we've, we can certainly bring it back down to the you and me level again. That's where it's existed for thousands of years. And so the modern view of banks is really since the, the Great Depression is kind of what we would term a modern bank. Uh, and the Glass-Steagall Act of 1933 and more, 
but you know, go back just even into the 19th century and we were doing a lot of our banking lending on a me and you basis. And in fact, there were families that had banks themselves. They were a bank unto themselves. There were neighborhoods that banked together. Uh, there's even a little community here in Chicago. There's a religious community that just, they have a bank together and they just rely on that. That's where credit unions came from and come from. Uh, you can have a credit union for a number of different interest groups or unions and neighborhoods. So banking can be a much more um, organic relational experience and less of a uh, oppressive experience, one that you know sort of sucks the marrow out of your bones. Um, I believe that there's probably a lot of profit to be had in the in the um, you know the creative design of how banking can function in our new modern economy right now. I think there's a lot of disruption that needs to take place. There's they're trying to with crypto, but you know I don't see it happening with crypto, at least not yet. Uh, but I think there's a lot of innovations that can happen on the peer-to-peer -peer lending experience. Um, and there's, there's other apps out there as well, but you can really become uh, uh, really involved in the banking experience. And I, I will just say this as I kind of wrap this up. We're already in the banking experience. We're just sitting on the wrong side of the banker's desk. And if we can sit on the right side of the banker's desk, we can control the environment where our business lives, where our money lives, where our family's economy lives. If we're sitting on the right side of the banker's desk, then we own the whole experience around this thing called money. And everything else becomes a lot easier when you have that experience, when you're on the right side of the banker's desk. So to get on the right side of the banker's desk, there's uh, there's obviously some, there's some uh, uh, teasing of opportunity on the inside that comment. But before we get into what that looks like, how you get on the other side of the banker's desk, let's go back to your story. So Mark, you... You decided to go and get your CFP designation. You started studying and you were, um, it sounds like to me, you became aware of things you didn't yet know up until that point. And like, hey, I can help people uh, figure out how to build generational wealth, how to get out of the banking system, how to get out of this tax code problem that we've got. So when did you, did you go work for another uh, financial firm, like a, like a big firm somewhere? Or did you just immediately say, I'm going to start my own deal? Let's take a quick break to thank our amazing sponsors for making this podcast possible. As an entrepreneur, I know that you have to deal with sales on a regular basis. I mean, every entrepreneur does. And if you aren't paying attention to sales as an entrepreneur, you're not going to be an entrepreneur for very long. But I've got a sponsor of this show called Dub that helps you bring the personal back to sales. If you want to figure out how to improve content creation, improve client trust, improve your sales process, decrease the sales cycle, because we all know time kills deals. If you want to increase client bookings and increase conversions, you need to take a look at Dub. There's a special offer for Dub for listeners to the root of all success at therealjasonduncan.com slash Dub. And that's D-U-B-B. I've been using this for years. I'm a huge fan and I'm so honored that they're our primary sponsor of the podcast. They have helped over 60,000 businesses around the world communicate better to make sales 
easier, to make sales more personal. Dub is built for growing teams. I mean, you can set up video emails, you can set up custom onboarding, you can do admin reporting, anything you need around video and sales and automation, Dub is there. You can try Dub now. Your conversions to sales are waiting. All you got to do is go to therealjasonduncan.com slash Dub. And there you're going to get two weeks for free to try Dub. Plus, you're going to get 50% off your first two months of Dub. You can't, you can't beat that. So go check it out. Go to therealjasonduncan.com slash Dub. 40 years ago, you weren't in business unless you had your business in the yellow pages. You remember those things? <laughs> and 30 years ago, you weren't in business unless you had a door-to-door salesman. 20 years ago, you weren't in business unless you had a website. And today, you're not in business unless you're doing social media content. Am I right? Social media content. Social media content in the form of like micro content, which is 30 to 60 second spots on Instagram reels or TikTok or YouTube shorts. That's the way business is done. As a matter of fact, that may be how you found out about this podcast or me as a business coach. This medium that we're using today to communicate what we do is vitally important. And just recording yourself isn't enough. You've got to do it right. And my friends over at Story do it right. And one of the problems with doing it wrong is that you sit around thinking, well, what the heck am I going to record? How, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? Like, I don't, I don't know what to talk about. Well, story takes all of that away from you. Stop wasting time trying to come up with content because story will send you a video prompt on what to record. You can pick the categories you want to record in, whether it's real estate, entrepreneurship, finance, relationship, leadership, life insurance. It could be anything. Don't waste time on that. And by the way, if you're not confident in talking on video or if the video editing portion takes up way too much of your time, Story will edit the videos to perform well on social media. They add the subtitles, the pop-ups, the Zoom cuts. They remove all the filler words like uh and um and uh. They remove the awkward pauses. And then they take that video and post it for you. They write the captions. They add the relevant hashtags. And they post it on the platforms that you care about the most. It's exactly what you need to be in business today. to be successful at it. So if you want to learn how to do social media the way the influencers do, you need to go to therealjasonduncan.com slash story. And that story with two Y's. Why? Because they're awesome. Go to therealjasonduncan.com slash story. That's S-T-O-R-Y-Y for 10% off your first three months to try story out. You're going to thank me later. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. I was working for, at that time, I started to work with uh, another gentleman who, uh, and, a, and a CPA, a female CPA also, who was helping people prepare and uh, eliminate a lot of tax debt. And I liked that because it, was a, it wasn't just rubber stamping a tax return. It was helping to mitigate and you know, examine and then you know, evaporate a lot of the, or negotiate and evaporate a lot of the tax debt that business owners had. And it got me, one, excited to see how small businesses were run. Two, it showed me the problems and how taxes can sometimes, again, suck the life out of a business uh, such that, I mean, you, you hate taxes, you hate debt. Let's get tax debt together and see what happens to people. It was a, it, there were a lot of sad stories. There were a lot of experiences of loss. Thankfully, I was mainly just helping to solve that problem, get their paperwork in order and get it over to the CPA so she could help negotiate and work with the IRS to lower or eliminate that tax debt. 
Um, but in the time that I was with her and the gentleman too that I worked with, it was 2008, 2009, 2010. And I was listening to the stories, the calls she would make. She would be like, hey, Mrs. Client, hey, Mr. Client, I know you're 63 years old and I know you're about to retire, uh, but I just lost you like half your money <laughs> due to the market crashing and the recession. And I just kept hearing these stories and these calls. And I thought to myself, I, I want no part of this. You know, I don't want to be the one to have to make that call. Uh, and I felt like much of her work was incredible. I look up to that CPA. I think she, you know, she's a nationally recognized person, CPA. I loved getting to, to learn under her, but I never wanted to make that call. And to be honest, Jason, I, I wanted to leave the industry. And this is before I became a certified financial planner. So I just said, well, maybe I, I'm just not cut out for money or finance. I was going to look at other avenues and had to stumble into some other strategies that didn't rely on market volatility that kept me focused on the business and ultimately start our firm, Lake Growth Financial Services. When did that happen? That was in 2011. So coming out of the, uh, the Great Recession, you had for you, it was a right place, right time moment because you were yeah. seeing things and you were connected to people that showed you there is a problem with our system, with the tax code, there's debt problems. There's, uh, there's problems with, um, the way the market volatility, as you, as you pointed out, are all working against us. And you started late growth as a way to solve essentially all those problems, banking, taxes, market volatility, et cetera. So, so it's a 2011. So for the last 11 years or so, you've been doing this with late growth and your financial, uh, your clients. So what, uh, what is your kind of, what's your go-to, what's your specialty that you pay attention to maybe more than anything else for your clients? Yeah, that's a question that is answered each time I meet with someone. I don't jump to a conclusion because there's, we are a full financial firm and there's lots of things that you can do to help people. I specialize in a couple of areas. Uh, as a certified financial planner, though, if I can't help somebody, I point them in the right direction. And I say, hey, you know, I, I have these specialties. However, I can help you on this, this, and this, but you need X, Y, and Z from Joe Schmo down the street. And so we'll happily connect people with the right experts if I'm not the right fit. Doesn't help me in my business, and it doesn't help them if I'm not meeting their need. Again, my deep desire has to meet the world's deep need. Otherwise, the business shouldn't exist in the first place. Uh, so what would we, what do we do? We, we focus on helping people and business owners and real estate investors meet their financial objectives without taking unnecessary risk. I believe that contractual wealth beats paper wealth all day long. What's the difference there? Uh, paper wealth are things like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, your home value, things that basically can go up and down with Zillow or somebody tweeting or somebody sneezing on somebody. If, if my wealth is dependent on things that can go up and down because of the market's drama, then that's not real wealth. That's paper wealth. Simply showing up on my paper statements every quarter is not real wealth. Contrast that with contractual wealth. That's what we specialize in at Lake Growth. We build your wealth into contracts, contracts that have some protection that have certainty, that have great reward with as little or no risk as possible. That's contractual wealth. And business owners understand how contracts work. I mean, your business, heck, civilization is built on the contract. So why shouldn't your money be built around a contract? At least some of your money, shouldn't it be built on the contract? 
So that's what we specialize in. We specialize in finding ways for your wealth to be structured into contracts that do what you want your money doing for you. Isn't that a like an obvious thing that I, at least I want? Don't don't you want to? I mean, if you know your future is is going to come, you're going to be 65 one day. You're going to be 55 one day. Don't you want to contract with your future self? Um, I'll say this, then I'll hush and pass it back to you, Jason. There was this Simpsons episode I was watching, and uh, Homer's drinking this weird concoction. And apparently it was like mayonnaise and vodka and like egg yolks and just nasty stuff and, and like kimchi and some other stuff. And so Marge comes up to him and she says, oh, that is so gross. Uh, how can you drink that? What about future Homer? And Homer looks at her and he says, huh, future Homer sucks to be that guy. And he just keeps drinking. And I just think to myself, how many, without us realizing it, how many business owners, entrepreneurs are saying that about our future selves just because we never stop to think what future Jason or future Mark really needs. Uh, I want to contract with my future self. I want my future self to be super pumped and super proud to be working with today's self, right? I want to have a, a, a contract with my future where I know my outcomes are determined before I even set out on the, on the adventure of life. I love it. So, so your firm seeks to solve all the problems we were uh, illuminating earlier with banks and taxes and, and the volatility of the market. And there's not a, a, there's not a panacea. There's not a one, one pill for everybody. Everybody's got different things, but, but one of the things that I know that you know a lot about, and that is using these contracts, these life insurance contracts, which again, goes back to how the code, the IRS code works. There's, there's codes in there that allows this to happen using these life insurance contracts to protect grow and infinitely compound our wealth to protect it against uh, debtors, collectors, a tax, the tax man himself can't get to it. So can you give everybody who's listening? Cause I know lots of people are interested in this concept of developing a whole life policy that, that protects and grows wealth. Can you give us maybe a, you know, a good two or three minute explanation of what that looks like? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll try to keep it to two or three minutes. It, they call it infinite banking for a reason, but I'll try to keep it down to two or three minutes. Uh, so there are, there are a number of places you can put money, stocks, mutual funds, real estate, annuities, dynastic trusts, the list goes on, savings accounts, the list goes on and on. Where you put your money makes it act differently. That's, that's probably the, the least like um, mind exploding sentence of the whole podcast today, but it's so true. Where you put your money really matters. If you put your money into a 401k, a solo 401k, an IRA, you can't touch that money and it might be taxed in the future contrast that with a properly structured insurance contract. We'll call these bank on yourself designed policies. Now, what is it? It's a dividend paying whole life insurance contract. One that's designed not for commissions, but for cash accumulation. One that we can use like a bank uh, for all of our personal needs, all of our business needs. Uh, so I'll kind of break that down in you know the time we have left here. But uh, you can pump money into a whole life insurance contract, uh, not like term insurance where you're just renting the death benefit, but whole life insurance has a, a living benefit called cash value. That cash value, uh, I'll, I'll put it down to TGIF. You ready? You like acronyms, Jason? I'll keep this real yeah. simple. TGIF. T stands for tax advantaged and even tax free. So the money in the policy's cash value can be tax free when we pull that money out. 
And the IRS tax law has been this way and has given us this advantage since its inception in 1913. That's right. Life insurance predates the IRS. Well, life insurance predates the IRS by almost a century and a half. Second, guaranteed. G stands for guaranteed. The policy's cash value grows on a guaranteed basis every single year. There's nothing that can stop that. It's contractually designed to grow guaranteed. We want to contract with our future selves. So how cool is it to have a minimum guaranteed value when I'm going to be 65 years old or 55 or 75 to know I'm going to be X million dollars in my policies. That's a beautiful thing. Third, it is insurance. So there is a death benefit. I stands for insurance. Uh, so I will leave my family more than I'll be able to save for them in the life insurance. Every dollar I put into my savings account, I get exactly $1 to leave my family if I croak tonight. If I put a dollar into my policy, it might be $7, $5, $20, depending on your age, but you're going to leave them more than you've saved for them just by nature of it being life insurance. So that's I insurance. F is financing. So again, your need for financing, I'm betting as an entrepreneur, is way more than your need for life insurance. So we're going to squeeze down the death benefit as small as I can make it so that you can have as much cash value that you can now use, almost like a line of credit to yourself for any of your business needs or heck your personal needs. So uh, just to say this as quick as I can, the policy can be borrowed against like a line of credit uh, and the policy is now you know, yours to, to spend as you wish. You could fix up your kitchen. You could invest in inventory for your business. You could send your kid to college. But when you borrow against this policy, the cash value will continue to grow as if you did not touch the money. Even on that capital you borrowed, it continues to pay you that same guaranteed interest, plus also dividends uh, on the entire cash value, like you didn't touch a dime of the money. So that's it, TGIF. That's a good, I don't think I've heard you tell the TGIF acronym before. That was pretty good. Uh, it's easy to remember. Happens on the fly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the so the essence of these properly designed whole life policies is these things you talked about: you, the tax advantages, which is which addresses the IRS code that we were talking about earlier. It's guaranteed, which addresses the market volatility because market volatility. I mean, you got people in the 08 to 010 to 2010 lost everything and had to work for another 10 years just to be able to retire. So this is guaranteed. Uh, it does have the insurance, of course, part of it, and then it it provides the financing. And I think the financing part of it to me is one of the most interesting parts, although not the number one uh, desire. But it's an interesting part because, for instance, we, you know, the way I look at it this way is that I, I could have taken that same hundred thousand dollars that I would have put down on an on an investment property, and it would be gone. I mean, it's obviously in the property, or I could have put it in the insurance, borrowed it from the insurance, put it on the property, and now I've got hundred thousand dollars growing in both places. That's why yeah. I like this. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm well, sure we, that's what you teach people all the time. We talked earlier about how important it is to sit on the right side of the banker's desk. This is how one can do it without necessarily opening up a bank charter and putting a hundred million into a local bank as, as we know them. You know, this is bringing the banking function back down, back down to the personal level, back down to the you and me level. So yeah, you're exactly right. You know, do what banks do with their money. Don't follow what they tell you to do. Watch what they do and go do that instead. Banks are some of the biggest purchasers of these life insurance contracts because they can use them, what do you know, like a bank. Okay, so these policies are some of the, the biggest asset classes in their tier one capital at, at, the, at your local bank or the big mega banks that you hear about on the news. 
Uh, they buy as much life insurance as they possibly can on all their executives. And then, you know, they use that money as capital to go invest and uh, in all their projects or loan it out to business owners like you and me. That's why every person who works at a bank is a vice president because they're listed. That's as right. A, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they're listed I'll, as an officer and they're insurable. They have an insurable interest on that person now. I'll tell you a very quick story. There's a gentleman who had a million dollar line of credit with the local bank. He was a very successful businessman, had a lot of guys working for him, guys and gals working for him. Million dollar line of credit at the bank. He gets the dreaded call. You know what I'm talking about, where the bank says, hey, mister, I'm sorry, but we're terming out your loan. Give us our million dollars back. He was furious. He was angry. He was scared. He said, I never want to go through that. Like, just like you said, Jason, I never want to darken their door ever again. I want to fire my banker. And so over the next five years, he paid them that million bucks back. He also pumped money into one of the, one of these policies and he built up a million dollars of cash value within five years in one of these policies. At the same time, he's going through a recession. He's having, so he's really making this thing happen. He's sick and tired of banks. Now he's become his own banker. He's his own line of credit, which is now guaranteed to never go away. You know, banks are notoriously good at giving me money when I don't want it and then taking it away from me right when I need it the most. Now he's got a permanent guaranteed line of credit that can never be taken away from him uh, and increases every year, by the way. And again, it will be a, a, a stream of income for him in retirement without taxes due. So he's fired his banker. He's become his own source of financing. So I, I get it that we can use this for financing so we can pop a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars a year into this thing and we can borrow that money to to buy toys or to make investments or or whatever. But but I'm gonna go back to that question of the day-to-day -day banking. Like I, I know with their apps now, we've got PayPal, we've got Venmo, we've got Cash App, and and I agree with you on the crypto. I don't I don't think it's there yet. And, but how do we how do we get out of the day to day of a bank? Because like right right now, I've got some stuff I've got to do for my banker, and and I have a very nice banker. She's fantastic, and uh, the credit officer above her, we're friends. Like I, I'm friends with these people, but I'm done with it. I don't want to do this crap anymore. How do we get out of that? How do we get out of the day to day? The day to day. Can you give context? Are you saying leave your checking account behind? Yeah. How do we get? Like I don't. I should not have to go to a bank and pay them you know, give them my money on deposit, which is actually, I think this is a whole nother thing. Like I only get an IOU for every dollar I put in that bank. They don't really get like, all That's I right. get is a guarantee that I can have an interest in the bank if they fail. Well, if they That's fail, right. I don't want an interest in your bank. So putting money in bank is, is probably the riskiest thing we do. And we don't even think about it. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you know more about banking as it currently exists today than most Americans do. The fact that you know about the Dodd-Frank Act and what's happened mm -hmm. since the Cyprus banking crisis and, and the last Great Recession where we had a taxpayer bailout and there's never going to be one of those again, according to Dodd-Frank. That's all, I think, news to a lot of your listeners. So maybe not. Maybe they're as clued in as you are. So good on you guys for listening to Jason and please be sure to subscribe to Jason because he's doling out some, that was some awesome stuff right there, Jason. Go back and listen to it again, guys, because you're right. Banks are not a safe place to put your money. Uh, and as far as where we go from here, I think maybe there's a deep need. Maybe you got a deep desire right there, Jason. Let's, let's solve that problem together and make a bajillion bucks doing it. But I'd say the, the simple answers are things like you see on these peer to peer, um, peer to peer cash apps, uh, they're very popular in other countries. Most people don't have a checking account in China, for example, but they are able to swap money back and forth. 
I just, I, I have a feeling that we're being watched. It's that big brother feeling all over again with many of the current digital apps that we have. So guess what? Cash still works. You know, I'm, last time I checked, I can still hand you a 20 and you still decide to take it. There's going to be other more creative digital private ways to pass money back and forth between you and your barista uh, before this is all done. And I can't wait to see what's next. But I think we're on the cusp of some really cool disruptions on the checking side. Life insurance is great, but there's no debit card associated with my policies, right? They, they are still, uh, they are a contract. Thank God they're a contract, not a bank. They're an insurance policy, not a bank. And I like those separations. I think Glass-Steagall did a good job in that 1933 uh, division between insurance and banking. So I want my life insurance to be away from the banking industry and I'm opting out of all my money. I still have a regular checking account for my groceries and my regular business OpEx, but for all my real cash, it does not run at somebody else's bank. Why would I put money in somebody else's bank if I was the owner of my own bank? Yeah, I think, and, and so we're just scratching the surface here, folks. If you if you're listening to the, well, you're listening to this because you wouldn't you wouldn't hear me say that. I hate when people say if you're listening to this, of course they're listening. They wouldn't hear if you didn't say it. Um, well, some people might hear. Some people might be hearing it, but not really listening, Jason. So yeah, I think so it's all good, man. <laughs> you're paying attention. I guess that's yeah, what I was just saying. If you're paying attention, yeah. What what Mark and I were just talking about there with the Dodd Frank Act. Every time I tell a friend this, even a, even a highly successful entrepreneur. They are look. They look at me like I have three heads. They're like, "Are you serious?" I'm like, "Abs, yes." This happened after the Great Recession. The Dodd Frank Act came out, and the bailouts of banks are never going to happen again. It's a bail in, which means every dollar you put in the bank, they're not. They don't owe you that dollar back. They will give it to you in the normal course of business. But if something cra- like the crap hits the fan again, like they almost tried to do with COVID and all the lies that went around with that. That, that bank could say, I'm sorry, Mr. Duncan, I know you have $250,000 in the bank and I know it's FDIC insured, but the FDIC doesn't have any money. Like the Fed's out of money. We don't have any money. So here's a, here's a, here's a statement saying you're actually now you're part owner of the bank up to $250,000 worth. Uh, congratulations. No, all of that. That's, that's actual law. That's not conspiracy theory. That is in the books. And that's why I think whole life insurance is one of the ways to escape this madness. Um, but I am, I am very curious on how we do day-to-day banking. How do we, how do we figure out how to do cash between you and me? How do you pay me? How do I pay you without going through, you know, the bank? Because that, that institution I think is long outlived itself and its usefulness. And what's sad is that I know good bankers and they're, they're as mad at the government about what they're doing to them as we are mad about what the bank's doing to us. Yeah. You know, there, there are, um, there are a lot of people who will go different directions and again, Whole life insurance pre-existed the dollar. I want to be clear about that. Like it existed before the U.S. dollar because the United States existed for about 100 years without the U.S. dollar. It had many multiple local currencies uh, and there were lots of creative ways to swap uh, trade, et cetera, between. And I'm not talking barter. I'm talking like other like local currencies that worked between people uh, and that were accepted across the country. So I just think it's going to be interesting to see what sort of fun, creative solutions come up. I think, again, the promise of crypto, uh, which I don't think has been fulfilled yet, was that you could do this, but the, the, uh, you could do this, what you're describing on the banking level on the kind of the day-to-day side. Um, but I think the problem with crypto was that there's nothing underneath it that sort of backs its value. Uh, there, are, there are no uh, examples out there that show like a 
anything more than just air supporting underneath the crypto that I've seen so far. Now, there are a few gold-based crypto tokens out there uh, where you can essentially have a one-for-one -one reserve. You can get delivery of the gold if you cash out, walk away from this particular currency coin. One of them is called Kinesis. I, I don't support or recommend any of them, but that's just one example out there. There's probably two dozen out there. And if you're a big, in, big into gold you know, reserve-based currencies, you might check that one out or check one out like that. But, uh, and again, I've not done my research on them. So, you know, it's not a recommendation, but things like that, Jason, I think will become more and more creative solutions undergirded by real assets, unlike typical crypto, which so far has mostly just been a Ponzi scheme to be very candid with you. Uh, I think there's a lot of incredible technology, but underneath it with FTX and things like it, it, it just was ultimately a big Ponzi scheme. So yeah. what can we do to, to undergird our day-to-day -day transactions with real value. Uh, meanwhile, we keep our real wealth in a contract, uh, almost like a vault, you might say. Uh, that to me speaks of true financial freedom. And again, this is so different than what you're gonna get from a typical certified financial planner who's gonna throw you in some retail amateur investment products like you might find on Wall Street or in your 401k. Yeah. And, and, the, and the 401k, the IRA, even the Roth IRA that people think, think is so great, again, is just part of the tax code. Somebody wrote in there and the beneficiary of that uh, on those cases is mostly the government. You know, they're, they're holding your money. They get to spend your money. They tell you you can't have your money. And then when you get ready to take your money out, they're going to tax it again. So it's just, yeah, yeah, the life insurance to me, as I found out and discovered this through podcast listening to, by the way, that's how I discovered all this. When I discovered this, it completely just rocked my world. And then ultimately that's how you and I were introduced to one another. So your firm, Lake Growth Financial Services in Chicago specializes in helping in people that, that want to protect their wealth, grow their wealth, and they don't want to, you don't want to have to survive market volatility. They want to have it guaranteed. So, um, you've, you've built this over the last 11 years, very successful firm helping thousands of people. How do you, what do you think your key to success was in building that business? Staying focused on your passion and being willing to fire people or let them fire you if they're not the right fit. Uh, it gets personal real quick. I know that you know this as a business owner, Jason. I know your listeners probably know what I mean when I say it's, it's, it hurts to see somebody not take, you know, your services or your product. If you're selling a product, you take it personal. But the best thing I can say is don't take it personal, fill up that pipeline, meet more people, shake more hands, get to know the world and what they need. Listen carefully to what the, the world needs or your, your customer needs, and then um, make sure that it's meeting your deep desire. You need to jump out of bed every day saying, man, this, this still matters. Even when it sucked yesterday, it still matters today because you're making a difference in somebody's life, whatever that is, whether you're selling shoes or whether you're selling cartoon you know, mazes or whatever, uh, you can make a difference in somebody's life if you're passionate about it. You could be successful selling rice on the side of the road or lemonade on the side of the road if you stick with it and you're passionate about it and you're meeting somebody's deep need. So how do you define success? Yeah, thanks. You know, I'd say that it's, it's, it's hitting that target, saying, all right, I've met my potential. I've activated my potential to the best of my ability. It's not a target, it's activation. It's getting off the launch pad. Potential activated is success. Does that make sense? In other words, potential what's activated. 
Yeah, potential activated is success. In other words, the, the opposite of success is failure. What's a failure? Failure to launch. You know, so what's a beautiful picture of potential? A rocket ship on the launch pad. What's a beautiful, terrible, frightening picture of failure? A rocket that never lifts off that launch pad. What a regret. What a shame, right? Like the, the worst words I want on my gravestone is he had such potential. So if you can activate potential, that's success. That's the root of all success. Nice. Nice. Well, Mark, if you were, um, if you had an audience of people who you actually have today that are, are entrepreneurs of all different shapes and sizes and different various um, stages of their entrepreneurial journey, some are early starters, uh, just getting started in entrepreneurship. Others are very, very successful. And you had to speak to maybe that first half of the group to the early people, maybe the first year, couple of years, two or three years in, maybe they haven't even started yet. As a successful entrepreneur yourself, who built a very successful financial firm over the last 11 years, what would be your one big piece of advice to say, this is what you need to do to also become successful? Be comfortable with a smaller group of your audience than you think you might originally need. Don't, in other words, don't try to meet the needs of the masses. Niche down, keep niching until you get weird, until it hurts, until you're not so average. Uh, and if you can keep niching down and being comfortable saying goodbye to nine out of 10 people because they're looking for something that you don't offer, you'll be happier, you'll be more sane, and you'll be a specialist, which specialists, as far as the medical field goes, specialists are typically paid a lot better than generalists are. So yeah, find uh, all the ways you can to niche down until it hurts, until you get weird. <laughs> weird like you and me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Weird in a good way. <laughs> Well, Mark, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. It's uh, it's always interesting to talk. You know, we went a little deep on some tactical stuff and kind of got into the weeds on it. But I, but I, I, I think people need to hear this. I think the average guy driving his truck right now to the office, or the lady out jogging right now, or on the treadmill. Th listen, th this stuff that we talked about today, we barely even scratched the surface of what really is there. How would how would you recommend, Mark, that people, um consume content that will help them understand what you and I talked about uh, on a service level today. Well, if you want to dive deeper, uh, you can keep listening to this great show, the root of all success. Cause Jason, you just put out great stuff. You, you have a high caliber for what you, you know, put out there. So thank you for what you're bringing to the entrepreneurial universe. Uh, if you still have time after Jason's show, check out our show. It's not your average financial podcast. And you can find that at anywhere you're listening to this show, not your average financial podcast. As far as uh, maybe connecting with our team and our, our uh, list of services, you know, we work with folks, business owners, entrepreneurs all over the country. And the best way to reach us, to meet with us, to go over your financial goals, see if this would be a good fit, is to go to kickstartwithmark.com. That's kickstartwithmark, with a K, dot com. We can have a 15-minute meeting and answer more Sometimes just having a one-on-one -on -one is the best way to get your questions answered rather than listening to 200 episodes or whatever. So feel free to reach me at kickstartwithmark.com. Yeah, so his podcast, uh, Mark's podcast, Not Your Average Financial Podcast, is interesting because he goes into some of these things that you don't typically hear financial podcasts talk about. Kind of like what we talked about today, even though really wasn't the intent of our show to get into some of those financial matters. But Go listen to Not Your Average Financial Podcast. 
Go to kickstartwithmark.com and make sure on the spot where it says, how did you find out about us? You put in there the real Jason Duncan or the root of all success so that he knows where his, uh, where his people heard about him the first time. And if you want to follow Mark on any of the social media uh, platforms, of course, you can go to kickstartwithmark.com and there's a list there. But you can also go to his link tree, which is at Mark Willis CFP. So if you know how to get to Linktree, it's Mark Willis CFP. But uh, remember what he talked about, you know, unemployable as a banker to helping, uh, I guess destroy is not the right word, but to put banks in their place. Unemployable by bank to putting banks in their place. So let's bring back banking, not bankers. How about that? (laughs) Let's bring back banking, not bankers. Well, there you have it. Another very successful entrepreneur and uh, uh, telling us about how he became successful. And I think one of the interesting parts about his story, as I think about this show that we we just recorded, is that he kept saying, and he said it several times, how do I get my deep desire to meet the world's deep need? And I think that's really profound because in his story of being a financial professional, you know, from an unemployable you know, unemployable by bank to helping really to, to, to bring on the demise of banks. And it's not because he was mad at banks, but he know he saw the deep need in society for a safe place where you could get tax advantages or tax free growth on your money, where it would be guaranteed, where it would be insurance. And it would also have financing capabilities, TGIF, as he listed, he created a firm that, that in his deep desire was to help people with their finances to meet that deep desire of how to protect our money. And uh, his definition of success by that, that activated potential, that's really, really interesting. So again, go to kickstartwithmark.com, kickstartwithmark.com, and make sure you put in there that you heard about him through the real Jason Duncan or the root of all success. So he knows who to thank when he starts getting people like you to reach out and say, Hey, I need some help with this. I got some questions about this, but you get a free 15 minute phone introduction and a free 15 minute financial consultation with Mark by going to kickstartwithmark.com and uh, just tell them that old JD uh, sent you over there. Tune in again next week when we talk with yet another very successful entrepreneur about his or her journey to success. Until then, I am the real Jason Duncan and Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Follow Jason on social media at The Real Jason Duncan. Are you an entrepreneur who feels trapped in the weeds of daily operations, not experiencing the freedom you thought you'd have as a business owner? Want to know the way out? Take Jason's free exit readiness assessment to see how close you are to getting ready to experience true freedom and success as an entrepreneur. Go to amireadytoexit.com today. That's amireadytoexit.com. See you again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.